United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and we got a nice, clean show for you today as we're joined by Skip Gilbert, the CEO for USYS. The USYS National Championships are going on right now. I'll have the call of the McGuire Cup and the U19 Girls Championship on Sunday, early doors on ESPN3. Skip Gilbert does a great job breaking down all that USYS is and continues to be. Of course, we all know about the USA's performance against Sweden. A tough one, right? 3-0. We'll break down that game with Dan Lawletta, who's been covering women's soccer since the early 2000s, the last 10 years with the Equalizer. And then in the last segment, Dan Lawletta will break down pretty much every team in the NWSL. Skip Gilbert, CEO for USYS, and Dan Lawletta, accomplished writer for the Equalizer, also a great analyst for women's soccer. When we return after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We're kicking off the show with Skip Gilbert, the CEO for U.S. Youth Soccer, also known as USYS, a longtime friend to United Soccer Coaches, even a better friend now that they tie in the convention together and doing all kinds of things together. Skip Gilbert, it's a big week for you. I want to get to that, but first I want to welcome you to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, thank you very much. This is great. I'm honored to be here. And uh, yes, you're right. It's a big week for us. Well, speaking of honor, it was an honor for me to participate as the host of the, quote, opening ceremonies as I think you made the right decision as we're still working our way out of COVID to do it virtually. I got to tell you, people ran into me after the opening ceremonies, incredible stories. I actually reconnected with people that now have daughters that are playing in it that heard I was there. So it's a small, small world tied together by USYS and the national championships. I'm also thrilled, Skip, to be back on the call for the McGuire Cup on Sunday and also the U19 Girls Championship. I used to call the McGuire Cup on Fox Soccer Channel, and I absolutely loved it. It went down to some of my great memories calling soccer, and here you go. It's not just the under-19 championship, though. You're going down quite a few age groups, and there'll be a lot of trophies handed out. It's a big, big deal this week down in Bradenton as part of the USYS National Championships. It, it is, and, you know, you talk about the McGuire Cup, and, I mean, it, just to date myself, I mean, heck, I played for the McGuire Cup, and, you know, I think the trophy started back in 1935, so you've got the heritage, you've got the history, you've got the prestige of it, but, you know, after what we've been through for the last year, 
the whole country being on hold, seeing all of these teams, all of the players, the families, the coaches, the administrators, all being able to come out and celebrate the game. It's been terrific. Well, you mentioned coaches. I saw a ton of college coaches and I'm talking big time D one college coaches at the hotel and they were getting ready to go to bed early. Cause they, you know, one of the things I do like the way you did this and I'm saying two things here, but I want you to talk about college coaches, but I also want to talk about the scheduling because it's hot down there and skip, you guys are taking care of the players with the schedule. I think, you know, we actually have to, you know, again, it is hot down here. The players haven't, you know, they, they've been sitting around during COVID. So they've come back as best they can, but we want to make sure that they can get out early. So we've got games scheduled at eight o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Um, so the teams are going to play their first three rounds and three successive days. They get Friday off and then Saturday and Sunday, they're at it for the semifinals and the finals. That's a perfect schedule. And then how about a little shout out for all the college coaches that are there? I'm, I'm telling you, I saw some big time D1 college coaches. You know, it's great. And and we love our, our relationship with the United Soccer Coaches. We realize that given the format that, the, that our championship event has, uh, any college coach, whether it's D1, D2, D3, NAIA, you know, junior college, if they want to see the best the country has to offer, they're coming here. You know, we start with 10,000 teams in our national championship series. They go through their state cups, they move on to the regionals, then they get to the finals. And at the same time, we have our national league, which as you know, 13 conferences, almost 80,000 players. They also have a pathway into our regionals, some directly into our nationals. So it truly is that earn your place to be able to be the pinnacle of, of, you know, any team's season and uh, college coaches have to absolutely want to be here to see who they can sign for tomorrow. Yeah. They're loving it. They're having a good time. And of course, uh, you know, being down in Florida as well is never bad. Uh, I'm also going to tip my hat to your staff. I was really impressed with the time that I was there as we got ready to do the opening, which I thought was flawless. It was incredible to have Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger and Jeff Lorenowitz and Tim Howard and Nikki Washington involved. But when I was even doing it, I saw your staff flying around all over those fields. You really have a good, hardworking crew there, Skip. You know, it's a, it's a tremendous mix, and I appreciate that. And really, the staff, they've over backwards for both this event and you know a week ago we were we were in Des Moines for the President's Cup and they're shifting back and forth but you know between what they do and then the great mix of volunteers that we have through our committees um, all come together because at the end of the day this is showtime this is the World Cup for American youth and we want to make sure that their experience here whether they win or they go home empty-handed that they realize that, wow, their career has taken them someplace most kids just dream about. So we want to make sure the venue is ready. Well, and when I say that those players that who were involved, those are big time players. They get it. They played in USYS, so they understand what a difference it made in their career. It used to, and it always has been, and it always will be. You know, if you want to take your career to D1 or, or D, just college, let's put it that way. If you want to play for Major League Soccer, the NWSL, if you want to play for the national team, you know, really all roads lead through USYS National Championships. And we couldn't be more proud of the players that are representing our country right now in Tokyo. Um, those that are playing in Major League Soccer, NWSL, you know, wherever they might be, um, we're, we're thrilled. And again, we couldn't be more proud of their accomplishments bouncing around with different topics i started my open with the fact that every year during the convention usys does sort of 
hold together, hold hands together at the convention. I'm assuming we're going to keep doing that, Skip. Is that the plan? Ab absolutely. We love the partnership. It's a great mix. You know, we're, we can't do much if we don't have quality coaches out there. So anything that we can do to be able to say, hey, we're here to support the coaches who are supporting our players and our, our USYS family. It's a great partnership and, and look to see some, some new and different things from us, you know, as we get to the convention next year. You mentioned Showtime. You started your Showtime with kind of bad timing. I mean, literally you were named the CEO and then really the world just dropped, right? With the pandemic. As you reflect on that, Skip, knowing that you went through all of that, what's your reflection? What are your comments on having to experience all that real time? You know, hopefully we'll never have to do that again. You know, I like to say one and done um, and, and really speaking for the entire planet, you know, having to kind of put yourself on hold. And for us, though, the silver lining was it enabled us as a staff and as us as an organization to really look in the mirror and to say, OK, let's look at the USYS family. What are the things that we do well? What drives relevancy all the way down from you know, the kids that are playing here this week, those that go through our ODP programs, those that are at President's Cup, all the way down to our recreational programming, which we're rebranding League America. When you look at the whole spectrum of what we do, we wanted to make sure that we're as relevant today for tomorrow's players as we were 30 years ago when soccer was you know, kind of getting going. So, you know, from that standpoint, it gave us, you know, that, that moment in time to really reflect and say, what can we do better? And I think as we emerge from this and we start to look in the next full season of play, um, there's going to be some great things coming out of this organization. Last question for this first segment, Skip, as you think about reemerging from this on Sunday, all of those beautiful trophies that have teams names etched on them. I mean, they are majestic trophies. We did a great job having the referees bring it off, which USYS also does a really good job saluting the referees, which we probably don't do enough of that. But you talk about a big show on Sunday, those teams that bring home those championships or get their name etched on those beautiful trophies. That's a really big deal and a ton of excitement. You know, it, it really is. And, and I don't want to date myself, but I'm still annoyed that our team didn't get farther than it did in the, in the uh, McGuire Cup chase. So it, it's a phenomenal event. And you had mentioned the referees, you know, and I think a lot of people fail to realize that as much as these players earn their place to be able to showcase their talent at the national championships, it's the same for the referees. They go through training, they go through evaluation, they earn their space to be at the championships. So all of our, those that are in the center, those that are on the lines, you know, they're the best of their, their team. And, you know, we couldn't be more proud to be able to showcase both the players, the coaches, the referees, and the entire USYS family. It's off to a great start. So thrilled to be a part of the opening ceremonies for lack of a better word. We'll take a break and be back with more. Skip Gilbert, the CEO for US Youth Soccer, USYS, as their national championships are going on right now as we speak. And they'll crown a whole lot of champions on Sunday. 
Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Our leadoff guest is Skip Gilbert, the CEO for USYS. The USYS National Championships are going on right now in Bradenton. And on Sunday, we'll crown all of those champions. You'll be able to catch most of them streaming. And you'll be able to catch the McGuire Cup and the U19 Girls Championship on ESPN3. I'll be on the call for that. I can't wait. I'm so thrilled to be back doing that, Skip. But I told you when we went to break, I'm going to come back and embarrass you a little bit. I want to get to know your story a little bit more, Skip. Tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, where you went to college. I know we had you, we lost you, and we got you back. That's kind of a wide open, open-ended question. You could buzz through it or you could take some time. I'd love for if you took some time to tell your story. Sure. No, thank you, Dean. And, um, you know, it is interesting. I grew up a Long Islander. You know, up in Oyster Bay, New York, Billy Joel country, if you will. Um, got my my soccer legs uh, at a prep school in New Jersey, the Lawrenceville School. I was able to play with Mercer County Select, um, which the, the kids coming out of that area, uh, there were a number of folks that played D1. They won national championships. They played in the NASL. They played up in the, the national team. You know, it was a hotbed. Uh, I went from there up to the University of Vermont, uh, had a good career. Most people don't equate great soccer um, in northern Vermont, um, especially back when I was there. Uh, but, you know, we we did some right things and we had a lot of guts and, you know, we made it up to, I think, 11th in the country. And, you know, I, I, I was able to get a couple of All-American um, designations out of it. So that helped me continue my soccer game and, and was able to you know, go in through ODP to the national team. I played with the Olympic Development Program, um, played with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Unfortunately, that was the time where the NASL was really coming to an end. So, you know, if anything, we like to joke that my class was the ones that killed the NASL, but uh, we, we try not. But at any rate, I, I went into the business world after my, my playing career came to an end. Um, I spent a lot of years with um, the sporting news and the, on the publishing side. And then one day I was down at the, the Olympics in Atlanta and I saw Hank Steinbrecher walking across the field at the semifinals of the women's match. And Hank was the head coach at BU when I played at UVM. So back then I took his picture. Um, I got the picture back a few weeks later and I flipped it over and I said, Hank, you never know who's watching you. Hey, if you ever want to bring sales and marketing in house, I'm your guy. Well, three weeks later, Dan Flynn called me and said, Hank wants you to come to Chicago and let's talk. Um, sure enough, I found myself um, helping to launch their properties division. Uh, unfortunately, it was an eight-month stint because Alan Rothenberg then decided to sell all of the sales and marketing and the properties rights to IMG. So from there, I opened the door into the Olympic movement, and I was able to, to get really nice roles with USA Swimming, USA Triathlon, um, US Tennis, uh, and then even US Anti-Doping before, um, by chance, I happened to see um, that Chris Moore had resigned from US Youth. So I ultimately called Chris and said, what in the world are you doing? Why, in the, why are you leaving? Um, and he told me why he was moving on. And I said, well, what's the process? You know, who's going to take your spot? And he kind of paused for a second. He goes, well, with your background, you should. 
So uh, luckily I was able to get pulled in, had a few meetings with the board and I guess I was the last man standing. So that's sort of me in a nutshell. Well, that's incredible. You know, we talk about mentors and memories a lot on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, particularly with coaches, Skip, as you can imagine, coaches get better by being around other coaches. When you think about mentors that have helped you in your life and what has been an incredible life, who are some people that uh, definitely come to mind? You know, the probably the top few, George Seymour was a guy back in Mercer County Select. And he was an incredible tactician. And he took a group of players that, you know, again, were incredibly talented. And he didn't want us to play just New Jersey kids. He had us playing all of the NASL reserve teams and any men's team that came in from Europe, we were first on their list. So we got our tails handed to us a number of times, but we also learned, you know, how to play really talented teams and how to persevere and how to be able to depend on your teammates, you know, and all of those characteristical developmental tools that coaches really want to instill in their players. You know, so from that standpoint, George really was there for me, you know, every step along the way. Um, you know, once I, the other, I guess the other coach that stands out is Nick Zlatar. Uh, again, he was, I, I worked for him many years at his coaching camps up in uh, Cobleskill, New York, but he was also my national sports festival East team. And we won a gold medal at the sports festival before they sort of fell out of favor. But again, just an incredible individual that you, you can't have nothing but respect for guys like that. You know, and so being able to play for individuals like that makes you truly appreciate what the game can offer, the, the camaraderie of your teammates, but actually helps, helps you to kind of open your eyes to see everything unfold in front of you, especially as a goalkeeper. You know, we, we kind of do that. But, you know, being able to be aligned with guys like that, you know, and then through my working career, you know, Hank Steinbrecher, you know, clearly comes to mind, you know, and just being able to work with him in a business environment is sort of the same as being on field. It's just that you're dressed differently and well, people aren't taking your legs out. So, you know, outside of that, um, you know, those are three really talented individuals that, you know, I owe a lot to. Well, this one will be even tougher because I remember I said mentors and memories and hopefully your brain starts to churn because it doesn't have to be just soccer related. You've done some neat things, as you mentioned, with a lot of different governing bodies with the USOC. But when you think about two or three special memories in your life and maybe it's family related, what are some uh, memories that come to mind, Skip? You know, I don't know why this comes to mind, but I, I remember back my, oh gosh, it was my sophomore year in high school. And, I, you know, and at that point I'm playing a lot of different sports, but soccer's starting to focus in and I'm home for Thanksgiving. And my parents sit me at the dining room table and say, we have to talk about your report card. And I'm thinking, oh dear, <laughs> this is not going to end well for me. But they opened to the page from our, from my JV soccer coach. Um, and it said that you know, Skip has absolutely no regard for his own personal safety. And I thought right then and there, I'm going to be a goalkeeper for life. I'm done. Um, and so that, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, really I, I, I've never forgotten. And then the second, I guess I'll throw two at you. You know, it's, it's when I worked at USA Swimming, um, you get to know a lot of these athletes. And, you know, the skill and the strength and the stamina, the, the, the passion, you know, when you get to that level, whether it's soccer, swimming, triathlon, whatever it might be, those athletes have something special. 
And when you watch those swimmers at the, the Olympic trials and you know them and this, the individual that takes sec, first or second are in absolute celebration that they're going to the Olympic games and then they look right and the kid that they've been swimming with for years is their third and their Olympic dream was just extinguished. And right then their whole design, everybody changes from celebration to I'm so sorry. And that speaks volumes for what sports does for all of us, being able to change gears like that, to recognize that as great as we might have our personal moments, it's still a game. And there are still others that might be on the other side of that victory. And so, you know, those two things I've never forgotten. And, you know, it's really, again, kind of helped to shape how I approach things and, you know, how I tackle whether it's adversity or when things go really well. I really like that answer. A couple more questions with Skip Gilbert, and we'll let him get back to the USYS National Championships and remind you on Sunday, we'll crown all of those USYS champions, including the McGuire Cup and the U19 girls on down to the lower levels as well. I want to go back to your first memory because you said you went to Lawrenceville and Skip, I got you on that one. My wife's niece went to Princeton. I happened to find myself over in Lawrenceville. That is quite the place, my man. That is nicer. I went to Athens in Ohio. U. Lawrenceville might be nicer than that, my man. It's, yeah, it, it's a very <laughs> special place. And, you know, for me, I've got incredible memories of it. You know, it is truly a special place. And, and we spent some time up at Princeton. We'd take the bus on up. But um, again, I was... I was incredibly blessed and privileged to be able to go to an institution like that, you know, get, get some education, but also if it weren't for that experience and being able to work, to play, not just for Lawrenceville, but also in the Mercer County area, again, my career probably would have been completely different. I love it. All right. Tying it all together. My final question here, as I mentioned, I hope to see you on Sunday for the call on those two games on ESPN three and the other streams that are going on, but it is a big week that takes an incredible staff takes amazing volunteers. As you mentioned, it takes incredible referees. It takes incredible clubs. It takes incredible grandparents that help drive the kids as well as parents and cousins and brothers and sisters and everybody else. So as we close here, Skip, you're looking into the screen. This is audio, but look into the screen and, and talk to all those people that made the USYS National Championships this weekend down in Bradenton so special. You know, when, when you think about it, it's the collective USYS family. You know, and we truly are that. And that is one of the things that brings, you know, I, our new vision statement to bring communities together through the power of soccer, making lifelong fans the sport. And quite frankly, I don't care who you are, your background, where you, you know, what you stand for. When we get onto the soccer field, we are family. And that is one of the great things that, you know, comes out of something like that. And, you know, I, and Dean, I said this to you, you know, kind of off air, but, you know, we're thrilled that someone like you with your talent and your passion for the game is actually going to be calling it on Sunday because, you know, we want those kids and the families that might be listening to you at home to realize this is an incredible moment for everybody that's involved in with, with it. We couldn't be more proud and we couldn't say thank you enough for doing what you do. And when you get home, celebrate, even if you didn't win the trophy, celebrate your accomplishments. And over the course of the next year, I'll put everybody on a charge moment. Get someone who's never played the game to play soccer. Get them to kick a ball and see what they do. And you're just passing, you know, that love and passion that you have for the game, passing it on to somebody else. 
That's a great way to end. I will tell you, though, as far as memories, my fondest memories, and I, I'm still close with a lot of players that played in the Maguire Cup when it used to be on Fox Soccer Channel. I still keep in touch with those kids that either went on to coach or even left soccer. They remember me calling those games, and I remember how exciting it was. So I'm thrilled to be back. I mean, you have no idea. So, I mean, I would have been there in a minute and glad to be there on Sunday. Skip Gilbert, thank you for kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast, and best of luck the rest of the week as part of the USYS National championships thanks dean and, and appreciate you being here all right coming up we'll break down that usa sweden game we left skip off the hook on that one and we'll talk about the upcoming games with dan lawletta a longtime soccer writer been with the equalizer for 10 years dan lawletta on the bounce this is dean linky again and i wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's united soccer coaches digital convention such a great success I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right. You can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer. And again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Skip Gilbert, the CEO from USYS, giving us an update on the USYS National Championships going on right now down in Bradenton. And certainly those teams did a lot better than the USA did starting the Olympics earlier this morning as we record this on Wednesday. And I'm so pleased, as promised, to be joined by Dan Lawletta who's been with the Equalizer for 10 years now, does such great work at the Equalizer covering women's soccer. He's been covering women's soccer actually since the launch of the WSA back in 2001. He's also a television analyst. I had the great honor of calling a game with him. Hope to do that again sometime soon. And more importantly, pleased to welcome him now to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me, Dean. And uh, not the conversation I was expecting to have when we set this up a few days ago. No, I, we started offline just saying I'm in shock. I mean, I kind of have like weird chills. I'm totally in shock and I don't really even know where to start. That's kind of fair to say, right? I mean, nothing went right or nothing looked really good for the USA short of a couple opportunities by Kristen Press. It was a dominant performance from Sweden. You know, I'm trying to think back to what you can compare this result and this performance to in the history of the team. And it's really difficult. I think you can go back to the semifinal loss to Brazil at the world cup when uh, the, they inexplicably benched uh, hope solo and put Brian Scurry in the lineup. But even that game was a little different. That was more like an early blitzkrieg. And then there was an early red card and you can make an argument, even that Brazil was the better team that day, you know, the Germany semi in 2003, was three nothing, but I think that game was maybe one nothing heading into stoppage time, and Germany was most certainly better than the U.S. in that moment. This was a U.S. team that was a heavy favorite to win the gold medal, and I shouldn't say was because there's a long way to go in this tournament, and one game does not end your Olympic gold medal dreams. But Sweden was dominant in this game from the first whistle 
to the last whistle. You mentioned a couple of chances from press. There was a moment where she hit the post that would have made it two to one, and then Sweden came down and scored the third goal. It's just difficult to remember the U.S. ever looking this poor, especially in a match that actually matters. I think it's fair to say we got to tip our hat to Sweden because they were flying. They were putting passes together. Defensively, they look strong. But let's try to break it down. We'll start in the back. Goalkeeper-wise, Alyssa Nair, I mean, if she's not back there, it might be 6 nothing, Dan. So I'm not totally sure anything's her fault. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Blotko blows everything up back there, although he doesn't have a whole lot of options to blow everything up back there. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. You know, backline depth has not been a strength on this team, especially on the outside for a long time. I agree that Alyssa Nair played pretty well in the game because, it, you know, when you got to halftime of this game, part of what you were thinking at halftime was, all right, Sweden have dominated this half, but they could or should be ahead, maybe 3 nothing, and it's only one nothing. And the U.S. just doesn't tend to let teams off the hook like that. So I agree Nair was very good. Sweden came out in a high press and they really just dominated with that high press and they focused it on the U.S. left side. So Crystal Dunn had all kinds of trouble passing out of the back. She turned the ball over a bunch and she made a couple of really nice recovery tackles there in the first half, but they were both recovery tackles that were brought on by mistakes that she was at least in part at fault for. Uh, so it was not a really good performance at all from the U.S. in the back. And that third goal, Dean, when, uh, you know, there was just a cross and the Swedish player was just standing there in between Dahlkemper and O'Hara. That was after the uh, press hit the post and it was almost two to one. And then from that point, you never know what would have happened. But that's the sort of goal that the U.S. scores in some of these cheap friendlies against teams that don't tend to qualify for the Olympics. And it's just like, I mean, when is the last time you saw the U.S. give up a goal like that where a striker had a free header in between two defenders? Yeah, I felt really bad for Crystal Dunn because they put so much pressure on her and she just seemed a little sluggish, which understandably it's hot and they were definitely working that side. But also Dahlkemper looked a little sluggish and didn't look in rhythm, both with O'Hara and with, with Sauerbrunn. That's my final question on that back line, but it wasn't, Abby's best game either. No, it wasn't. I thought Sauerbrunn uh, had a, a solid game positionally, as she usually does, and, uh, you know, put some attacks to bed during that first half. Uh, but like you said, if, you know, if you're going to make changes in the back, you know, you have Emily Sonnet is kind of your jack of all trades and Tierna Davidson and Casey Kruger now as an alternate, you know, you can bring her into the 18. Now, I guess she's no longer an alternate, but, you can still only dress 18 and Blacka went with dressing the original 18 and the alternates were the ones not dressed. Um, I mean, how, you have to expect them to be better. I don't know if there are other teams in this tournament that can do quite what Sweden did because Sweden came out with a fantastic game plan in this match. And, you know, so often you see teams, they can keep up the game plan for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Sweden pretty much kept it up for 90, which was, fairly impressive. They didn't high press the whole time and they didn't have to, but they never gave up and they never stopped being on the front foot in the match. To me, the game plan was Sweden decided they were wearing the red, white, and blue, and they were going to play like the USA plays. That looked like the game plan. That's what I saw. What'd you see? It did look like, especially in the early days of Vlatko Andonovsky, when he would press a whole lot. And, you know, it's, it's actually impossible to know if the U.S. 
was planning to be in a high press in this game because the way the match played out, the ball was almost never being passed around the Sweden backline. So it's difficult in a sense. Sweden almost, you know, almost jumped the U.S. tactics, whatever we thought that they were going to be. And if you're thinking about 2016 when Sweden beat the U.S. to 1-1 draw and then PKs, this is a night and day completely different match. That was a Sweden team that bunkered. I think they said on the broadcast today that the shots that day were 27-6 for the U.S. I don't know what they were today, but they certainly weren't 27-6 USA. This is a completely different Sweden team than we saw in 2016. So let's look at the midfield now. Julie Ertz came on, gave 45 minutes. She's coming off that meniscus situation. It looked all wrapped up. She still was effective, still a warrior. But, I mean, it can't be that easy fitness-wise and everything else she's dealing with. But they definitely don't have a ton of depth. I mean, Lindsey Horan is a notable attacking player. I think of her more of a center forward than I ever would just a holding six or eight back there. Yet she had big shoes to fill because Ertz was out there. They don't have too many other choices there unless they move. I don't know what they're going to do there. Uh, If Ertz can't go to full 90, you know, clearly Lindsay wasn't as comfortable. He didn't like what Sam Mewis showed him in the first 45. Rose had moments, I thought. But, I mean, she seemed to be chasing the game. I have no idea what he's going to do in the midfield before we move to the front line. Yeah, I mean, I think Haran can play in the sixth role if necessary, although I think she's more effective a little bit higher and kind of in that box-to-box role. Ertz, I mean, let's be honest. It was nice to see Ertz out there and contributing, and I did think that Ertz made a little bit of a difference in the match. Now, you can't get a whole lot worse than the U.S. were in the first half, so maybe that's a low bar to set for Ertz to improve what was going on in the midfield. She wasn't as physical as usual. She didn't strike me as a player that was completely fit and fabulous, but I thought she looked okay. And, you know, that's normal. If this were her club team and you saw that for 45 minutes, you would say, all right, that's a good start. Got some time to build her into the season, but it's not a club team. It's an Olympic tournament with a very demanding schedule. And I'm curious what the plan was coming in. You know, if the U S had won the group, then they probably would have played Japan or Canada in the uh, quarterfinals. The way it is going now, it's probably going to be Brazil or the Netherlands if they wind up finishing second in Group G. So you almost have to wonder, were they on a plan where maybe they thought they could get through a quarterfinal without Julie Ertz or without some other key players? So it'll be really interesting to see how Andonovsky manages the minutes going forward. But I do think the midfield is too good to be as invisible as it was today going forward. And if they can just not have their back line pressed into oblivion like today, I kind of think the midfielder will be okay. Now I'm wondering about the front line because Tobin Heath was so brilliant in those games leading up, which isn't necessarily fair because they weren't playing the likes of Sweden, let alone New Zealand and Australia for that matter, in my opinion. Um, but yet she shine, you know, first touch, wonder goal, another goal. Uh, but Kristen Press continues to impress. And, and I thought Carly Lloyd brings a different, you know, and I know her age is a factor, but I, I thought Lloyd and Rapino showed a little bit, uh, whereas Alex Morgan, not her best performance in just 45, but maybe it takes her a little while to get going. I mean, you got Lynn Williams sitting over there on the bench. I mean, I feel like we might see, short of Kristen Press, three different start, you know, two, two different starters with press. 
against New Zealand on Saturday. I thought Press was the best of the forwards. Morgan had that header uh, maybe in the 10th minute thereabouts. It was while the game was still 0-0 and Press set her up for that. She didn't get a lot on it. Uh, was it Heath maybe hit or was it wasn't Heath? I think it was uh, Lavelle hit the outside of the post at some point in the first half. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's tough to judge the forwards again when the back line is turning it over and the midfield is not really getting the ball forward. It's difficult to judge the forwards. Uh, but again, what I'm curious about here is if you go to the 2019 World Cup when Jill Ellis was the head coach, she used game two of the group stage to pretty much reset the entire lineup. Now that was off of a 13, nothing win over Thailand. when we were talking about goal celebrations, uh, you know, that when the team was a finely old machine in that moment, uh, do you want to do squad rotation here against New Zealand? Or do you feel like, Hey, we've got to get this, this group, right. You know, I mean, look, the team hadn't lost in two and a half years, 44 games in a row. They were undefeated under black. They're do a poor game. It just seemed like this one was a little bit too poor to be explained away, you know, bad form. It wasn't like, you know, there wasn't a counterattack goal that sunk them. You know, you can blame the heat, but Sweden were the better, more functional side in the last 20 minutes. How often do you say that when you watch the U.S.? Usually the heat and the fitness all falls in favor of the U.S. So just stunning on so many levels that I so when he looked, looked okay, but the, you know, they were, most of the attack was going up press side when they did get some attack. So tough to, tough to really, really tough to process this one. Yeah. You can tell by the tone of our voice, we're, we're just not sure. And then obviously the media will be all over this U S team naturally, you know, because they love a big story and this is a big story. Any way you look at it, cause it wasn't, you know, one zero nail biter it was three, nothing could have been, could have been six, nothing. So it'll be important to see how the veterans rally together and, and deal with the media. The U S kind of has been able to do whatever they want as it relates to the media and what they're saying and what they're doing, kind of strolling along. So now they kind of got to step up and show some maturity, right? Yeah. And I'm not really sure what the media presence is right now. In Japan, I know that uh, Annie Peterson from the Associated Press is over there, but I think a lot of American media that was going to go to Japan has elected not to. So I don't know exactly what that's going to be like for the team in terms of being at the event, especially as it compares to the World Cup in France, where there were, you know, at least a dozen American reporters alone following them around for the entire month. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. And maybe Sweden is their kryptonite because Sweden played them the toughest of any other opponent so far in the Andonovsky era. And maybe if they have to go through Sweden again, they'll get the benefit of being able to adjust and make some tactical changes on getting blown out in this game. But, uh, I'm, you know, I'm really not sure. But, they, you know, they, they've got some questions to answer. I, you know, I, had, I asked Andonovsky a while ago, if it might become a burden or if it might benefit the team, if they lost the game before they went to Tokyo. And I mean, I, you know, he can't really say, yes, I'd like to lose a game before we go. Cause you're always out trying to win, but you do have to wonder, you know, ahead of the 19 world cup, the U S went to France and got dismantled. And uh, you know, there have been similar poor efforts. There was a poor game or two ahead of the 2015 world cup. And you wonder if maybe, 
uh, they're going to have to do their adjusting on the fly now at this tournament without a lot of days in between. It's only two days off before they have to line up again against New Zealand. And we'll end this first segment with your thoughts on what you think will happen against New Zealand. What are you predicting uh, as far as a turnaround for the USA in that game? I think they will beat New Zealand soundly. Uh, New Zealand is one of those teams that is always good, but never good enough on the world stage. They didn't get a whole lot of time together because of the COVID restrictions. It's always a challenge for them to get their team together because of how far away everyone has to travel. They get together, especially if they want to do anything on home soil. So, you know, look, if it's 10 or 15 minutes in and the game is being played even, or if somehow New Zealand can snatch an early goal, it's going to be a lot of nervous people watching the U.S. on Saturday. But I think the U.S. wins that game handily. And uh, then you'll, we'll, we'll have a little bit of a different narrative about the event after the New Zealand game. And then we'll see how good can Australia be. You know, you never know with, you know, Sam Kerr can be the best player on any field and then into the knockout rounds after that. Well said. And obviously, I think it's a must-win game for the USA. They must get three points to allow the USA not to have to worry. When we come back, we'll talk NWSL. The standings are tight. The quality of play has been outstanding, even with all the players over in Tokyo. We're joined by Dan Lawletta with the Equalizer on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Hello, college coaches. This is Dean Linky with a special reminder. Registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits, including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA, and so much more. United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student-athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, our second segment with Dan Lawletta. As we broke down and even our voices were cracking, the Sweden 3 USA 0 game in the opening game of the Olympics for the USA. Now moving to the NWSL, Dan. I mean, what a league right now, even with all those players in Tokyo. Portland, incredible depth. They're now all alone in first place after a win over Orlando. They're at 19. Chicago really flying high, using own goals, whatever it takes to get there. They're at 17. Houston, New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC at 16, along with the Orlando Pride and the North Carolina Courage. Washington Spirit right there at 15. And if you're racing Louisville at 11 and OL Reign at 10, you certainly feel like you've got a chance at this thing. Let's start with Portland. They've got some players that Vlatko might want to call in right now and send them over to, to Tokyo. They're flying right now. Yeah, Portland has played well. They got off to a little bit of a dodgy start. I don't know 
if it was a coincidence or not, but after Mark Parsons announced he was leaving at the end of the season to take over the Netherlands, they lost two games in a row. Then they got back on the horse. And the only game they've lost since then was against a relatively full strength North Carolina courage team. But the one thing about the thorns is that they always seem to have another player in the pipeline that can come in and at least be effective and they are extremely difficult to play against, meaning they're hard to break down, they're hard to score on. I think Bella Bixby is the real deal in goal. She came within a minute or so of being the first keeper ever to start her regular season career in the league with three straight shutouts. And Portland, if Portland can emerge from this Olympic break, and when I mean break, I mean the time where their Olympic players are not with them, they can emerge from that in first place, then I do believe they are the favorites to go on and win the shield. You know, looking ahead, I'm still not convinced of Crystal Dunn and Lindsey Horan and their chemistry together in midfield, but they're also two outstanding players, and you have to think that they'll be able to figure it out. A lot of pressure on that team, though, with Parsons leaving, rumors swirling about maybe Horan playing in France next season. So things could be a lot different at the end of the season in Portland, but they seem to be on the right course right now. I called a couple of those own goals for Chicago, but I start to look at that team with Rory Dames. And of course, they've got two players that were on the last World Cup team in Mallory Pugh and Morgan and Brian Gattrall that look really good. Kalia Watt starting to fly around as well. They're getting great work off the bench. It feels like their back line with Sharples and, and even their outside backs are, are starting to step up uh, in replace of uh, Kruger and, and in front of them, Ertz. I mean, Chicago's a team that still has a lot of veterans, Di Bernardo, Colaprico. I mean, they've got some veterans on that team. I would say they're the most difficult team to figure out right now. Obviously, their season started with that 30 minutes of debacle in Portland where they were down 4 nothing and lost Julie Ertz, who didn't play again in a game of, you know, until today against Sweden. And then they kind of recovered from that, and then they laid an egg against Louisville, and now they're getting all these own goals. And, you know, we laugh at the own goals, and they got five in a row. And that, you know, five – consecutive goals that were credited to them were own goals. That's the most ever already in one season. They're the only team to get an own goal in three consecutive games. But, you know, when you say own goal, it's not like the ball's being knocked around and someone just puts it in. You know, you still have to build up and, and make passes and put the defense in precarious positions, and that kind of creates the own goals. I'm still not sure that they have enough up top to score goals when it really matters. But – you know, they've always been a very defensively sound team in midfield. Uh, Casey Kruger is going to come back. Alyssa Nayer is going to come back. So they will be right in the mix, which I think, you know, like you said, when you went through the standings, you can say that about probably everybody outside Kansas City, but the Red Stars will be in the mix, and they do have that winning pedigree that they can rely on. But I still, you know, and Dames has even admitted, you know, they're looking for a nine to – you know, to add to the front line, I'm just, you know, again, in a game of real consequence that matters, you know, if they have to go to Portland in a playoff game, do they have anybody who can score against the Thorns? I'm not sure they do. Houston Dash, James Clarkson, last time around, he said, we had no idea what we were doing when the World Cup happened. We didn't know how to deal with it. They've got the most players over in Tokyo, yet 
they look like a team that can play with anybody. And I will say Shea Groom looks like a player that could very easily also be on the national team. She's playing outstanding soccer right now, Dan. Remember there was that clip when Blacko Andonovsky was the coach. I guess he was still in Kansas City and somebody asked him about, because he had said that Shea Groom could be on the national team and people were laughing and he said, you know, be careful laughing about that. Um, Shea Groom's been very good. I think the dash win in North Carolina is maybe the biggest single result of the season because the dash early on were playing well and throwing away points. They should have won opening night of the regular season at Gotham. Uh, they, you know, they were one, one with the Washington team that was down a player and wound up losing that game on a, you know, Natalie Jacobs had a long ball, I think to Ashley hatch and the dash lost that game. Uh, they were up one, nothing to the red stars and two own goals later. They, as James Clarkson said, threw away three points. So I think that win over North Carolina was a big one because it put them right into the mix. I kind of feel like the dash at their best, especially they're starting 11. They can play with anybody. Uh, you know, obviously they're going to need Rachel Daly and Christy Mewis to come back from the Olympics and be effective. But I do like what the dash have going there with James Clarkson, but they, you know, they've, squandered a lot of their margin for error and playing well and not getting points because there's going to be a time where they slump in form but uh right right in the mix for the dash i like what they're doing a little bit of drama in your neck of the woods with new jersey new york gotham fc with leadership the league made a statement they're moving on freya coom meanwhile continues to move on they um had the player advantage and fell behind obviously against the washington spirit but came back and then fell behind again, or at least got it tied and came back and, and got the win. They've got a lot of attacking personality and a pretty solid defense. That's not a bad team there either. No, it's not. Uh, when you say the league put out a statement, um, yeah, they put out a statement. It didn't really say any, anything, but yeah, Liesl Hugh, no longer the general manager, which is not really necessarily soccer related. You know, I've covered this team literally since, WPS and with the exception of that 2009 run when they won the WPS title against all odds when Christy Rampone was the pregnant player coach um, you know they find ways to lose games or lose leads and all of a sudden this team finds ways to get results you know the week before against Portland they were pretty badly outplayed wound up 0-0 even back in the challenge cup they didn't win the trophy, but they got the penalties on a day. They were pretty badly outplayed. You know, Didi Haracic uh, was, I thought, a fringe backup goalkeeper at best, but her shot stopping this season has been unbelievable. They've got depth. You know, they've got Zerboni and Long, the veterans in the midfield, Anamano and Purse have been very good up top. You know, they were first-round picks together with the Breakers, I think, in 2017. Didn't quite work out there. Then they went their separate ways when the Breakers folded back together now. So Gotham is a very fascinating team. Now, they're probably outperforming on points, their performance on the field, and that will probably catch up to them. They'll regress to the mean a little bit, but only one regulation loss in the regular season and Challenge Cup. So the fact that they can now get results – Without playing great is a very, very different theme for Gotham than it has been uh, for many, many years. I'm going to bunch three teams together because I do want to get to your predictions for this weekend. But Orlando sort of coming back down to earth just a little bit, but continue to see amazing penalty kick saves from 
Ashlyn Harris, who clearly has a, a point to prove, simply spectacular against penalty kicks. In fact, one of the best in the world, the North Carolina Courage. I mean, Paul Riley said to me, he's like, look, we're not a first place team right now. I don't expect uh, while the Olympians are gone for us to be a first place team. I figured we're going to be around five, six. Sure enough, Paul Riley, Nostradamus, they're right at six. And then the Washington Spirit, give me a quick take on those three. Well, I still think with uh, Mewis back in the fold, Sam Mewis back in the fold, I think the Courage at their best are still the best team in the league. Now, I said if the Thorns emerge from the Olympic break with the lead in the table, that they'll be the favorites. I think the same thing applies to the Courage. I think the Thorns, without their Olympic players, are better than the Courage without their Olympic players. Uh, I thought Lynn Williams was a huge piece missing from the Courage when they played the Dash the other night. Um, but the Courage are going to be fine. They, you know, they're, we'll see how exactly they come through the Olympic window, but the Courage are going to be okay. Pride kind of going in the wrong direction these days. There's some speculation that Mark Skinner might be headed back to England, and they're missing some key pieces. But the thing about the Pride is that in 2019, you scored on the Pride, that was it. Once you scored on them, you could start running up the score. Now you score on them and they toughen up. You know, they stiffen their upper lip and they, and they come back at you. Um, are they the odd team out of this mix? Maybe so, but they have made tremendous strides. And, you know, they've also got the players, their best players are not young. You know, Marta scored a couple goals. She's now scored, by the way, in five different Olympics. First woman or man ever to do that. Uh, of course, on the men's side, it's basically a U23 tournament, so not likely to happen there. But, you know, Marta's not young. Alex Morgan is not young. Sydney LaRue, who's not at the Olympics, is not young. Allie Riley's at the Olympics, not young. Allie Krieger, Ashlyn Harris. So we'll see how they hold up. But your spirit are kind of an anomaly because I think the spirit, when the spirit are playing their best offensive soccer, to me, they're my favorite team to watch. Rodman and Sanchez are extraordinary they're not necessarily consistent yet which is not surprising because they both should be basically still playing in college at this point in terms of their ages uh but you know they also have found ways to give up results and uh that could come back to bite them and right now they're on the outside looking in but of course they're only four points out of first place uh, but they need consistency and uh you know they They've had some rough first halves this season, too, so they need to put some 90-minute performances together. Now we're going to end with your predictions on this weekend. There are five games, one on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. We start with North Carolina at KC. Boy, I would love to tell you that Kansas City gets a win in this game, and maybe they catch the courage at the right time, but uh, Kansas City is just so fragile in back and they don't score enough five goals in 10 games. They don't score enough to overcome it. There's a little talent there, but wow, they are up against it. You got to think that this is a chance for the courage to have three points on Saturday. Olau rain at Orlando. It's almost feels like a must win game for Olau rain. They are another team and they're hard to figure out. Laura Harvey's going to coach them. which I thought was interesting. I'm not a huge fan of organizations dipping into their past, you know, they kind of had their time. That's not to say that it's impossible to work. Um, you know, they've got attacking players galore, even with some of the ones missing for the Olympics, but it hasn't come together for them. Maybe they're getting the pride 
at the right time, though. And then Portland at Houston. I like that matchup. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, Dash, you know, the Dash should look at this as a game that they can, maybe even should win. But this is probably the best game of the weekend on paper. But you got to break down that Thorns back line. It's not easy to do, even without Sauerbrunn in there. So far in three games, you've kind of avoided the answer. So this one, I'm just going to ask you, who's going to win Washington against Louisville and Chicago against Gotham, Dan? I'm going to take Chicago to beat Gotham only because I think at some point, you know, it just has to, you know, the bottom has to fall out of Gotham at some point. And I think Washington will beat Louisville, maybe a draw, but note that Louisville has only lost so far to the, uh, courage, uh, sorry, to the Thorns and Courage. They are pretty good when they're not playing the Thorns and Courage. So that's something to keep in mind when you look at Louisville and their place in the standings. Speaking of pretty good, I mean this in a non-sycophantic way. You're pretty good at what you do, Dan. I really <laughs> Thank you. enjoy yeah, talking to you. Dan Lawletta with the Equalizer. We're all a little bit uh, shook up based on the Sweden 3 USA 0 game earlier this morning, but a great breakdown of that game and a great breakdown of the NWSL. Dan Lawletta, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Appreciate it, Dean. Thank you. Thank you, Dan Lawletta, and also thank you, Skip Gilbert, the CEO for USYS, for kicking off the show. Also, to thank Jonas Worth, Bailey Coughlin from United Soccer Coaches. I want to thank our producer, Colin Thrash, and I want to thank all of you for listening to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.